What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99, but more importantly, go check out Ethos Fantasy BB. We have launched our draft guide. Very exciting stuff. Very exciting time here at Sports Ethos. We have a lot of articles that are up already, rankings, sleepers, busts, all that kinds of cool stuff, and even some Dynasty content for you guys to check out as well. So check it out at the source at sportsethos.com. Uh, but also give us a follow on Twitter at EthosFantasyBB. Now we're continuing with team previews this week. We're doing quite a few of them. I think we're going to do one every day, actually. Um, but today we're doing one that is close to my heart, close to my home here in Toronto. And even though it's spring training, looking outside, it is very cold, uh, snowy day today in Toronto. So it is kind of a weird feeling as we get ready for baseball season to see it completely covered in snow outside. <clears throat> but regardless, we are talking Toronto Blue Jays. We are joined by a very special guest, Sho Ali of the Fan 590. Personally, this is very cool for me because, Sho, I listen to you on the radio on Jay's Talk. This is a very cool experience. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no problem, Joe. Happy to do it. Thanks for listening to Jay's Talk. Always fun. Uh, it's always fun getting to fill in for Blair and Barker. Those guys are real characters. I, I, it's funny. I actually produced Blair and Barker when they're doing it. So okay. uh, the, the conversations that fly around the studio during the uh, season, like both during games and after games, are always pretty entertaining. What's your level of involvement with like the actual team? Do you get to talk with the players? Do you get to like maybe just give everybody a little bit of background on what you do over there exactly? Sure, yeah, yeah. So as a as a producer, when Blair and Barker are on, I will go with them down to the ballpark just to make sure they get like technology wise set up and they're they're ready to go. And when we're back at the station, when for road games, for example, uh, same same deal except it's a lot easier because we're all kind of in the same studio, but. When I'm hosting, yeah, I get to go down to the ballpark. I usually sit in on the manager meetings, uh, get to walk around during batting practice. The PR staff has a very, very specific uh, schedule as to how it works with, like, when can you go into the clubhouse and when can you talk to guys? And the opposing team usually has their own things as well. But, yeah, I usually will go down, gather sound, talk to a couple players, get some things on for the pregame shows on the weekends, and then, uh, that's, and then we kind of get started. That's, that is so cool. Personally, something that I really want to do work in sports media. That'd be kind of a dream job to work with the Blue Jays. So it's very cool to talk to you here. Um, being around the team and just seeing all the banter that we've all been seeing uh, throughout the whole offseason. And now, of course, with some games getting started up. What are your thoughts on this team overall before we get into specific players? What's your outlook for the Jays for this season from a real life perspective and even from a fantasy point of view? I, I am looking forward to seeing how... I guess my the biggest thing for me was how the dimensions at the Rogers Center will change any fantasy outlooks. Like it probably won't change things like too too much for pitchers, for example. Um, I do kind of wonder about guys like Alec Manoa. Uh, I mean, there was an AL Cy Young finalist last year. I do kind of wonder if maybe he'll be like a little overdrafted potentially if maybe he gives up some hard contact at the same time. I mean, he's out, but no, he's a very good player, very, very talented player. So I'm not super worried about him. Same goes for some of the guys who got hit very hard and gave up a lot of loud contact with the, with the, uh, the smaller dimensions rather. But I think from a real life perspective, I, I am very much looking forward to seeing how the remade outfield helps the team with no shift, right? Cause now we are with all the different, uh, changes Major League Baseball has done with the rules. And I'm a big fan of the pitch clock. I think that maybe helps guys like Yusei Kikuchi, for example. But when it comes to the outfield, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the arm of Kevin Kiermeyer and certainly the glove of both Kiermeyer and Dalton Varsha will help the team look defensively. Because, uh, Joe, I mean, I'm sure you remember last year, we saw 
gosh, like so many balls hit from opposing players that just went right into the glove of guys who like their feet barely moved essentially, right? Like the Espinals and the Bichettes and the Cabbagios of the world, even in the outfield too, like they barely moved and now no, no shift means I wonder if they rejig that a little bit. And I am curious to see how much the outfield plays into that. I was talking on a panel yesterday and one of the discussions was Kevin Gosman and the defense that'll be behind him. And one of the points that was brought up was, you know, kind of the poor Blue Jays defense last year, but they've actually, you know, improved quite a bit in the outfield there specifically, like you mentioned, Kiermaier and Varsho. You got Matt Chapman, who's always gold glove worthy. And then we got Vladimir Guerrero, who's also got a gold glove on the shelf now to go along with his other accolades. I'm very interested to see how the pitch clock does pan out, does play out, because as of right now, i got to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of it so far. I do recognize that we're still ironing out the kinks, and there will be obviously not this many violations once we get into the season. I heard uh, Paul Goldschmidt talking today. I was watching a little bit of the Cardinals and the Mets, and he seemed a little bit hesitant about you know the way it was implemented. Maybe it was a little bit too fast for them. They don't have enough time to get up to speed maybe. Um, but I think they got a, a month to, to iron it out here in spring training, and they probably will. We well, probably won't be seeing so many violations once the season actually gets going. But it, it's very interesting to see the way that they've changed baseball this season with the bigger bases, with the lack of pickoff attempts, with the shift restrictions. It feels like almost a different game that we're watching to some extent, anyway. Yeah, you know, I, I don't entirely disagree with you. I, I definitely think it was funny, right? Because today. As we record this on a Monday, I um, the spring training game, and it was a little different because the, the game today was like a bunch of super subs, right? Like it was Jays Braves on the, the the Monday was basically Espinal, and then the tryouts for the 26th man on the roster on the active roster, and then the Braves put out their entire full lineup, and that game was like just a smidge over two hours with the home opener at TD Ballpark for spring games was like a three hour, fifteen minute game or something like that, so. I guess you you will see a lot of variation in the pitch clock. I am curious. I, I'm curious what you think, Joe. Like when it comes to the bigger bases, I have said I I'm really looking forward to seeing more stolen base attempts for like virtually every Blue Jays position player. Like even Vladdy Jr. I'm curious to see if like where what his stolen base attempts look like. Like do you like are you looking forward to that? Like part of me wants to see Vladdy steal more bases then part of me will probably scream no please don't don't do it Vladdy when he takes off from first it's definitely not something I want to see long term from him I don't not like from a fantasy point of view if you draft Vladdy and he's stealing you 10 bases or whatever it was eight bases last year you'll absolutely take it right especially because he was still durable he's still playing almost every game but for the long run he is a bigger dude in general. I mean, he's not like he's not fat or anything like that, but he's a bigger guy. Running is going to put more strain on him, and the Blue Jays are not relying on him to steal bases. That's not why he is there. He is there for the power numbers. He's there to hit 300 and hit 40-plus home runs, hopefully maybe even 50. In terms of the stealing and how aggressive he will be, it does worry me in terms of injury risk going forward. And also, you know, George Springer is another one too. I'd like to see yeah. George wrapped yeah. in bubble wrap as much as possible. <laughs> And maybe moving him to a corner outfield spot, if they do that, will help cut down on some of the the, the Superman-esque plays that he makes. But if he is starting to steal more, uh, there will be more risks for injury. And that's the main concern that I have. In terms of like how it will affect all players, I think we're going to see a couple more steals across the board. I saw an interesting thread on Twitter yesterday that said there's... You know, based on the very, very early returns from spring training, we're looking at maybe what could be like a 25% increase in stolen base attempts across the board. So we might see some crazy steal numbers. I think it will impact 
pretty much everybody. Like, I don't think Alejandro Kirk necessarily is going to be impacted by this so much. But right. the guys who are generally five to seven steel players, probably closer to 10. Your 15 to 17 steel guys maybe get to 20. So I just think you're going to add a couple of steals to those guys who are already stealing. And, you know, the guys who are already elite stolen base guys, your Trey Turners, your Bobby Witt Juniors, those types. I don't know that it's going to do so much for them because they're already so elite. Maybe you add one or two, but I think that's probably generally where I'm at right now is we're probably going to see one or two stolen bases added, maybe as many as five or seven, depending on how much advantage a certain player will take of it. But I don't think it'll be, you know, Alejandro Kirk's not stealing double-digit bases this year. It won't be that <laughs> drastic, but I do think it will have a general bit of an impact across the board. I, I'm curious to see one guy who I'm, I wonder if he will try and steal more will be Whit Merrifield. Because, and I, I suppose it does de- depend on whether or not Whit Merrifield ends up being the everyday second baseman. And I, it, it, right now, it certainly feels like they're going to give all of the guys, Merrifield, Espinal, maybe even Cabot Biggio, the best chance during the spring to at least try and grab that spot. But uh, if, if it is Merrifield, it, it was interesting because before he got traded last year from the Royals to the Jays, he stole. I get a decent amount of attempts at the very least. And once he got traded to the Jays, I think he had one attempt the entire rest of the year. Now, granted, after the deadline to the end of the season is not like the hugest amount of time just to go and steal bases. And even within that, he wasn't an everyday player for most of that time until basically the end of the year. So I get it. But if he is the everyday guy, I kind of wonder if he will try and go back to the steal or steal attempts a little more versus you know when he came over to toronto that'll that that's the guy i have my eye on because you're right like bo bichette vladdy kirk chapman all these different guys they're probably going to just stay largely the same and like you said maybe attack on like two to three more attempts even maybe not even actual uh successful stolen bases yeah Whit Merrifield is very interesting. He's got multiple 40 steal seasons under his belt. Now, maybe with the age, he's just turned 34. Maybe we don't see him steal as much. But I think with these rules, give him a whole season in Toronto as what will likely be a full-time player. Looking at the different projection systems from fan graphs, they've all got him going from about 117 to up to 136 games. So that's pretty full-time. Yeah, uh, Anywhere from 16 to 20 steals he's projected for. I could definitely see him getting back to 20. For sure, I could see him getting to 20. And Boba Shett is really interesting there as well because we saw him go, I think it was 24 for 25 or 25 for 26 in stolen base attempts in 2021. Last year was 13 for 21. Uh, so maybe with the rules, we'll see more success from him. Maybe not so much more, so many more attempts, but we'll see a higher success rate from him because guys can't throw over as more or as much, I should say. Uh, there won't be as many attempts over to first base. Guys will take you know, more chances, I think, on the base pass because they won't be anticipating as many more throws over. Right. Uh, Bo is pretty intelligent baseball player. I I think that he'll probably pick his spots and get to 20 stolen bases. Those are the two guys that I think would be most affected by that on the Jays. I mean, maybe Kevin Kiermaier. He's also got some speed. Maybe we see him get to 15, 20 steals if he is an everyday player. What are your thoughts about the outfield uh, playing time here? We're kind of just bouncing around topics, which is totally cool with me. Um, in terms of like how it will be split out between Kiermaier, between Springer, Varsho, like will they sneak in? Um, you know, anybody else in there? Will Merrifield get in the outfield? What are your thoughts on how they'll assign playing time out there? Yeah, I do. I do expect health permitting, and health is always a question mark. It seems for George Springer, it's a bit, probably a, to a certain degree a question mark for Kiermaier because he hasn't been healthy the last, I guess, two seasons now, even going back to 2021. So. I'll be interested to see how healthy they stay 
Uh, it does kind of beg the question for me, because I, I do expect it to be Kiermaier in center, Varsho in left, Springer in right. I expect that to be the case. And if, if that is the case, then do we get a fourth outfielder to spell any of those guys if there is an injury? Because if they, they're probably going to be out there virtually every single day. Springer, probably you'll probably see him fill that DH spot. Because one thing we saw last year, Lajo, was the, the managing staff from Montoyo and Schneider both effectively used, and this is just how it goes in baseball, but they both effectively used the DH spot as like a way to get some guys like the half, half day off their feet, certainly. And you didn't see a lot of guys take the day off entirely. Like Vladdy sometimes got DH, but he never really left the game all that much. Uh, Bo really only sat when he had like the foul ball right into his foot, but it was really the outfield that was specifically Springer that saw the most time either not in the lineup or at DH. So if let's say Springer, for the sake of this conversation, let's say Springer does DH more. It does make you wonder who will be the fourth outfielder who will fill in for him. Right now, I would expect it would be Whit Merrifield, just because I think the managing staff seems to be pretty confident that if Merrifield has to spend any time not at second base, it would be in the outfield, and then they could just fill in with one of Calvin Biggio or Santiago Espinal. And I think Espinal did a pretty good job as the as the pretty much starting everyday starting second baseman after he took control of the platoon to start last year. So if if, if it is ends up being Espinal at second, then or even if it is Biggio a handful of times, I got I think I have more confidence in Merrifield, you know, taking control of things out there. If let's say Springer is DHing, or you know, heaven forbid, someone gets injured. Knowing the way Springer plays, it wouldn't shock me if he gets injured. But, you know, even as somebody who watches 158 Blue Jay games, <laughs> it shocked me to look at the numbers of games played that George Springer played. It was 133 last year. Yeah. I would have thought just off the top of my head without looking at the numbers, oh, he probably missed 50, 60 games. But he was actually out there pretty regularly. Uh, he DH'd 40 times. And a DH is an interesting thing with the Blue Jays as well. They have two very viable catchers, which is an enviable situation. They had three, and arguably still do if you want to talk about Dalton Varsho and him getting behind the plate. I mean, it's, a, it's an enviable situation to be in, but it'll also take up DH at bats. Do you think we're going to see like, – how, how do you expect that to work with the catchers, with Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen? I, I would think based on – so it might be different to start the season because Kirk, as far as we know, hasn't reported to camp yet, right? So because he hasn't reported – the like in the Dunedin home opener the other day, Jansen played the first game against the Pirates, and Kirk hasn't reported to camp because of I believe it was I think his wife has not yet given birth, so because of that he is he's having some some of the coaches be around him and uh, in in Mexico and he's getting the the staff helping him out and so on. So let's say let's say that is de- delayed even a little bit more. He's probably not playing at the the World Baseball Classic, which is unfortunate, but I, I think it you know they, they've they've done the right thing ultimately speaking. Yeah. But if, if the season starts, I would expect Kirk probably to miss, not, not like necessarily miss time, but because this is a lineup that does see the DH spot usually occupied by one or the other of Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk, if he does miss time, I kind of wonder how much playing time Brandon Belt will get in that DH spot if he is healthy, for example, because if, if he's not playing first base, he's either sitting or he's DHing, right? So I, I think it's Belt's placed in the DH spot to start the season, but Let's say Kirk does get caught up relatively quickly. I, I wouldn't be shocked, Joe, to see either, or pardon me, both Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk in the lineup basically as many times as humanly possible. Because that when we saw that last year, and again, there were some periods of time where 
I think remember Danny Jansen had he was started off really hot, then he had the oblique injury, and then he came back, he was hot again, and then he had the fractured finger. So it was a bit of an unfortunate situation with him. He didn't quite get into a full rhythm, but if they're both healthy to start camp and they're both available to start the season as well, then I, I would be almost surprised to not see them both catching DHing at some point. I, I almost wonder if Kirk would be the DH over Jansen because it just it does kind of seem like the pitchers performed slightly better when Jansen was calling calling the game behind the plate, but Kirk has made some huge strides like in, in over the span of his entire career. So if he made even more strides by midseason, then I wouldn't be surprised to see them really evenly splitting the catching starts. We all we all often see like the um, we talk about like personal catchers a lot in baseball, not just for the Blue Jays, but just like in generally speaking. So I guess we'll have to see what the relationships are like, because who knows? Maybe maybe Bassett has a preference now that he's a Blue Jay, right? Maybe maybe the preferences change for other guys. So but I, I, to answer your question, I would be shocked if uh, Jansen and Kirk weren't both in the lineup once everything kind of gets started. I think that they'll try and put them out there as much as possible. Yeah. With Danny Jansen, you know, he hasn't played more than 107 games ever. But last season, over 72 games, he had 15 home runs. He batted 260. He was walking more than 10% of the time. <clears throat> you know, the strikeout rate was only a 17%. A lot of things to like. And this WRC plus number, uh, the weighted runs created plus, kind of tries to normalize across different ballparks and different players and whatnot. 100 being average. Danny Jansen was 140. He was almost yeah. like a player and a half when he was out there. He was that good. You know, it, I, it was sad to see Gabriel Moreno go. It was even more sad to see him at a home run in his spring debut. <laughs> but... You know, we are very set behind the plate here in Toronto for the time being. You got Jansen, who's 27, and Kirk is 24. Uh, so, I mean, they're pretty well taken care of. I think we'll see a fairly even split behind the plate, depending. I mean, probably Jansen, four days, Kirk, three or five and yeah, two or something yeah. like that. I have heard, and you'd probably have more insight on this, that Kirk has really developed more as a game caller since he first arrived and the pitchers are more comfortable than they, than they once were, whether he's at Danny Jansen's level yet, probably not. Uh, but I think he is, like you said, he is making strides. He is still growing as a player and we probably hell, almost certainly haven't seen his peak yet at 24. And you can say that about a lot of players on this blue Jays team. Yeah, I think so. I think you absolutely could with Kirk. I, I, uh, it's crazy to think that when he got called up, it almost seemed kind of wild when he first got called up because he just did not have very many games under his belt in the minor league system, just like at any level, really. Like he, it was kind of, it, it did feel kind of like a gamble and he showed the raw power when he was first called up. And then there was that period of time at the beginning of last year where it, it felt like he just could not buy an extra base hit. It was like however, however many games, like 30 games or 40 games where he just did not go past first base, essentially, which was hilarious because by the end of the first half of the season, he was a starting catcher in the All-Star game, right? So it was, I think because of that, that's why I feel pretty confident in saying we haven't seen the surface scratched for him. The other thing, too, and even from a, from a real-life perspective or from a fantasy perspective, we haven't really seen, like, beyond beyond the, the upper echelon catchers, like, beyond the, like, you know, the Salvador Perez and the the JT Real Mutos of the world, the Will Smiths of the world, beyond those guys, when you really get into, like, the, I don't know, like, past pick 150 and so on, yeah, I feel like it's pretty barren out there. Like, you're pretty much just, you kind of just pick whoever your favorite guy is at that point, essentially. Like, that's when you're getting into the, if you want to go with, like, Logan O'Hop and you think he's going to be the guy, whatever, whoever, right? I think if, if that's where you are and you still don't have a catcher, I personally, I would feel pretty good about it. Again, health being, being uh, all other things being equal. 
I, I really do feel like either Jansen or Kirk will probably be pretty relatively good returns for you when it comes to like investing a low end pick, for example. I was pretty aggressive with my ranking of Kirk. I put him fourth. Now I okay. might I might lower him one or two spots because of the late start to camp. I had him just one spot ahead of Rutschman. Uh, it was Real Muto, Varsho, and then Will Smith ahead of him because Varsho still has the eligibility there. Um, but Kirk is one of the only catchers in baseball, arguably the only one who could hit you 300. He could give you 20 home runs. Obviously, he's not going to steal for you. But batting in the middle of that lineup, you know, if he had 70 runs and 85 RBIs, I wouldn't be surprised by it. And he's going very cheap. I'm starting to do a lot of mock drafts, some real drafts as well. Uh, but I've been doing like one or two Yahoo mock drafts every day, just trying to just quick ones, just half an hour with, you know, CPUs. Alejandro Kirk is going pretty late. And there's a couple other catchers, you know, not on the Blue Jays. Tyler Stevenson is another one going pick sure. like 175, 180. Right, right. Uh, you know, in those one catcher leagues, you don't have to really invest an early pick. If you take JT Real Muto early, he's not going to hurt you necessarily. But, you know, in some of these two catcher leagues, I'm doing JT Real Muto's ADP is like 24. Ooh. He's going very high up you don't you don't need to you don't need to take him that high you got a guy like kirk and danny jansen going well past pick 100 and i think i had jansen as the 12th or 13th in my catcher rankings i think they're both great options and you can even take both of them you know it might be not a not something that everybody's going to do but based on where they're going in most drafts you could probably take both of them you could have one sit on your bench you could have one you could just rotate them out if you're in a daily league whoever's starting gets the start there obviously if you're setting your lineup weekly it's a little bit different but I wouldn't be opposed to having both Blue Jays catches this year. I think that they're both completely primed for success, assuming that they are healthy, which is a bit of a question mark. But I, I, I digress. I think that they're both great. Yeah, there. I no complaints. I um, I like, I would feel pretty good. I think I'm the kind of person who usually waits on the catcher, anyways, with my with my drafts. Like I, I like if I ever if I ever ended up with a JT or Real Muto or Will Smith, I in a, with a relatively speaking high pick, I'm certainly not going to complain. But it, it does kind of feel like one of those positions where value wise, you can probably get like I don't know, like 75 to 80 percent of a Real Muto or a Perez or someone. And still, and and feel like you didn't like completely punt essentially on your on your catcher spot. Yeah, the only reason he goes that high, and same with Dalton Varsho. Dalton Varsho, you know, in, in the NFBC ADP numbers, he's right. going like in the 30s. And mm-hmm. those are two those are two catcher leagues, so you know they do go off the board a lot faster. You do have to kind of secure them earlier. But do you, do you think Varsho will have the eligibility after the season? Like, well, how, how does that? Like, will they? You think they'll change the eligibility of catcher if he like if he only sees like four starts at catcher this year so uh, it's it varies on different sites and the nfbc the way it works is you need 20 games played at a position the year prior to the qualify prior, there okay. so i think with yahoo it's a very low threshold like mookie betts still has second base eligibility on yahoo because i think you just need five games played at a position now i could definitely see um i don't know Maybe if one of the catchers for the Jays goes down and they need to play Varsho, then it right. might become a point where he would be eligible. But I can't see him getting behind the dish maybe more than five, seven times this year. And you're talking, you know, maybe he retains eligibility on Yahoo. But it's something that we talked about on the show a couple times for dynasty players. If you have Dalton Varsho as your dynasty catcher, he, he is likely to lose that eligibility next year. So you might want to be moving off of him. But I do think that there's still a lot of value in Varsho. Uh, wherever he's playing for fantasy, I think he's overdrafted in that particular format because there are two catchers and because catchers don't steal in general. Um, but I, I think the outlook for him is pretty good in Toronto. I know there's been some talk about the ballpark is 
bit better, but it's worse for lefties, I think. I, can, I don't have the stat cast numbers in front of me. Um, do you think that we're going to see Varsho kind of repeat what he did last year, or was that kind of as good as we could probably expect out of him in terms of a stat line? I think it, it might be something similar at the very least to last year, but I think the the exciting thing about it is, for me at least, you. I mean, you're, you said you're based in Toronto as well. Here in Toronto, I can guarantee you, Joe, most people do not watch NL baseball. Like, there's probably like there's probably like a hundred people who watch NL baseball versus watching even like the dregs of the AL, for example. Right? Like, I think most people would watch like Royals games and Tigers games before they ever watch even like you know, unless it's like the primetime Dodgers games after the you know the on the late night games, but. I, uh, because of that, I feel like a lot of people just don't really know what to expect out of Dalton Varsho. So even if he did just have a repeatable season that he had in 2022 in 2023, I think you'd probably be pretty happy. The other thing, too, is I'm hearing that uh, and this is from Ben Wagner, from Buck, and a lot of the guys who are down in Dunedin. But the uh, a lot of the talk out of camp so far is that when the the batting order, and again, batting orders are fluid, batting orders change, and it'll probably change a couple times during spring training going right through to the season opener against the cards at the end of March. But I, I am curious to see if the batting order does have Varsho in the top four, let's say, because I know they were kind of playing around with batting him third, for example, and having the, because that was something we talked about a lot last year, like just the parade of righties and the lefty yeah. bat being like somewhere in there just to break up the, the the sheer amount of righties there were. So let's say they do, instead of having the order they had last year, they do have, let's say, a Springer, Vladdy, lefty bat, Bo Bichette batting cleanup. That's not something that would surprise me too much. And if Varsho does bat, let's say, third more often than he doesn't, that could be that could be pretty interesting. That might be a little bit of a worth a bit of an uptick, let's say, for Varsho. I'm looking at the projected lineup here, which Fangraphs, they have uh, called Roster Resource on Fangraphs, if you guys want to check it out. They project lineups, they project all the way down to the last man in the bullpen. And what they've got here so far, and it will it will vary, of course, uh, Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Kirk, Varsho, Chapman, Belt, Merrifield, and Kiermaier. I agree. I think that Varsho does make sense somewhere in that top four. Um, it's tricky to figure, and it's kind of a fun exercise sure. to try and to try and mess around because I don't think there's any necessarily wrong wrong way to arrange it. If you have Varsho batting third, you got Vladdy either second or fourth, Bo either second or fourth, and then you got Kirk in the fifth slot. I, I, there's there's worse Blue Jays lineups I've <laughs> seen in my lifetime, that's for sure. Uh, Tapia bat first. A couple times last year, like yeah. you me, like I'd, ra- I'd rather see some combination of Springer, Vladdy, Varsho, Bo, Kirk, and like in some com- Springer's probably leading up whenever he's healthy. So let's yeah. just put him at the top. But uh, from two to five, any combination of those guys will probably be pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, if if Springer does have to miss time, I mean, I'm just kind of baking that into my projections for <laughs> yeah, him that yeah. he's going to be out 20, 30 games or something. If, you know, Whit Merrifield is kind of like a backup leadoff hitter there, someone who can sure. just bounce up to the top, steal bases for you. Not the greatest on-base guy, but he's got a lot of speed. There, there's a lot to like about this lineup. Do you think it is necessarily better than last year, this lineup, with the, with the subtractions of Gur- Guriel and Hernandez, adding in Varsho and Belt and Kiermaier? Do you think we're better offensively? Oh, Joe, did I, get, did I lose you there, Joe? Just for a second, just for a second, you did. Okay, okay cool. Sorry, my, my my alarm went off to be like, join Joe at six o'clock. Okay, oh. <laughs> we went uh, a little bit early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's all good. Um, when it comes to the lineup being better in twenty three versus twenty two, 
I do think we, okay, I'll, I said this, I think we did lose a little bit of power in terms of what you'd see on an average basis because uh, Teoscar Hernandez truly had some of the most effortless power maybe I've seen in a long time. Like I've, I've been down to my fair share of batting practices and they, especially on days where they open the dome, I have seen quite a few batting practices where Teoscar Hernandez and just, and again, they're just lobbing these things, machines, guys lobbing pitches, but you'll see Teoscar Hernandez swing that bat and he'll hit the, the video board out there in the 500 level. Like you'll hear the ringing crack off the video board because, and, and he does it so freely and easily. So not having that power, and we witnessed it right up until the very end of the season last year, we had two home runs in the second game against the Mariners in the wildcard series. But without him, I do think you lose a little bit of it and you are replacing it with some more, I, mean, I don't know if question marks are like uh, the entirely fair, but, We'll see if Var- we just talked about Varsho. Can Varsho replicate the season he had in Arizona? And then similarly, is Brandon Belt healthy? Because if Brandon Belt is healthy, I do think it makes up for it to a certain degree. And you probably will see him play, I don't know, probably over 100 games at some point. But I, I do wonder, like the question mark about health will always be a question mark, <laughs> like effectively until it is not, right? So I think if, if that is the case, then I feel okay about it. I'm not. I'm not too worried about the uh, departure of Guriel because I do think it'll that that will be ably replaced by uh, by Varsho. But in terms of having the sheer power in the lineup, that's probably less. But the balance is there more, which I think the Jays probably needed, honestly. Yeah, I love Teoscar. I was upset with the trade when it first happened. I thought the return was probably not as much as it should have been. And then after right. hearing hearing around the different baseball people that I respect, it seemed like it was generally what we were going to get for him one way or the other. But just looking at it like a middle, not middle, more of a late inning reliever, but somebody in Swanson who had kind of one great year, uh, you know, for a guy who's won a couple of silver sluggers, it felt not the greatest, but I feel like they have compensated for it uh, regardless. And defensively, much better as much as i love teoscar there were times when the ball get hit to right field and you just kind of put you know just look away and just hope, yeah. and hope he gets it's an ad- it's an adventure out there that's yeah. for sure yeah. and you know they've <laughs> definitely improved on that now ideally for me kiermeyer would not be getting regular at bats yeah but at the same time i don't think that they really have much of a choice at this point unless we see maybe Kevin biggio does finally you know explode the way we thought he might after his rookie season where are you at on Kevin Biggio in terms of his oh, developments? Are we are how close are we to just giving up on him at this point? You think? I, I, I've always said that I, I do think that teams that have championship aspirations, like the Blue Jays do, they do need guys like that. You do need like the super utility guys, for lack of a better word. Uh, I don't know if that's super ideal from let's say like a fantasy perspective because it just there's such like there's no guaranteed playing time for him. He he really does seem like he is a fill-in at first, let's say if Laddie ever does get time off, maybe a fill-in at second if if it's not Merrifield or Espinal or heaven forbid there's an injury or a fill-in out in the outfield if they need a fill-in because of injury or, or, or just rest days or whatever. But it's true. like it, it does kind of feel like where we are at on his timeline development is that he is closer to being just a guy versus the guy or a guy, if that makes sense. Uh, and, and it's not really, I, I'm trying not to like knock him too much because obviously he goes out there and you see him prepare and you see him do all these really awesome things consistently when it, when it comes to the practice fields, but it, it hasn't exactly translated to the, uh, to the regular season and to actually on field results. 
I, I, I don't think we're I don't think we're close to seeing him get like cut or traded necessarily because again the team this is like the Villagers mantra I've now learned is they love Joe they love the positional versatility like they love these guys all to be able to do like three different things and that's definitely Captain Vigio's within his ability within his wheelhouse. It's certainly within the wheelhouse of other guys as well, like a Santiago Espinal, like a Whit Merrifield. We've talked about all three of these guys today, but I, you're right. It, it doesn't, well, I don't think they're going to give up on him necessarily. It does feel like maybe we have now seen his ceiling and, and what he is as a, as a major leaguer. It's just almost hard to believe that this is his ceiling. Like seeing just how explosive he was in his debut, he had 16 homers and 14 steals in 100 games. Is walking at that point 16% of the time. And the walk rates, you know, the, the eye has always been there, the famous Biggio eye. He's still walking quite a bit, like 14% for his career. But everything else for me, it's just if his name was Kevin, anything else <laughs> yeah. than Biggio, I don't know that he'd still necessarily be here. And the fact that he is utility, he can play all over the field. Last year, he played 49 times at second. He was 33 times at first. He was in right. He was in left. He even started at third. DH three times. That is, I think, his value at this point. Like, from a fantasy point of view, I want nothing to do with Kevin. Yeah, same. <laughs> Real life, I'm, I'm still hoping that we can see something because he's not the youngest guy in terms of his development. He didn't come up until he was 24. It's almost surprising, but he's 28 years old or just about 28 years old. I hope from a real-life point of view, we can see more than just a guy who is an injury replacement utility, give a guy a day off. Because I do think even if we, he doesn't reach what he was projecting to reach from 2019, I think there's a better version of Vigio that is still out there. I don't think that this is his ceiling to hit 200 and you know strike out close to 30% of the time. I think that he is better than that. Whether we're going to see it, whether we're going to see it in Toronto, I don't know. But I, I'm not ready to give up just yet, but I'm... I'm getting close, unfortunately. I'm just not I'm not feeling the way I did about Kevin even just last year or the year before, which is unfortunate. But, uh, man, I, I don't even know how to feel about him at this point. He's really yeah, somebody yeah. That, that confuses me because I just I, I'm, I'm emotionally attached to somebody. He came up with the rest of those guys with Bichette and with Guerrero and Guriel. And, you know, we thought that he was going to be one of that group. And the other guys, maybe not Guriel so much, but even Guriel, they all flew past him. And he's still kind of here as this bench guy projected for anywhere from 45 to 65 games. It's it's unfortunate, but I think that's kind of just the reality of the situation that there's not really so much room for him um, on the active roster or in the lineup, I should say, yeah, on yeah. a daily basis. Well, to, to a lesser degree, it kind of reminds me of the same conversation we had about Rowdy Telez a couple of years ago, right? Because Rowdy was like, I, I, I was so loathe to see him go because you knew this guy had was had all the talent in the world and then the news came out that vladimir guerrero jr was going to be the everyday starting first baseman you're like okay well as we talked about if if vladdy's at first and then he's going to see time at dh i guess rowdy could get some time at first when vladdy is dhing but springer will have to be dh'd at some points and teoscar will have to be dh'd at some points when he was still here and Bo Bichette and other players will have to be like the, the DH spot can only house one guy at a time. So if that's the case, like what would it not be better served trading some of these guys for assets? And that's exactly what happened with Barry Telez. And now look at him. He's great. I think it, it, there were, there were moments when the Jays played the Brewers last season and Rowdy Telez played pretty well. And you thought to yourself, gosh, how did the Blue Jays like miss on this guy? And, and again, I don't really think that it, it is that they missed. It is an unfortunate reality of the, 
the roster crunch being being what it is that he basically went and flourished elsewhere. I do kind of wonder eventually if that'll be the if that'll be the, the story for Kevin Biggio, right? Because like you said, there like third base is full for now. Maybe that's not the case next season. Like maybe you're talking about Matt Chapman leaving and Matt Chapman being paid like thirty million dollars a year by some other team, and maybe it is Kevin Biggio at third. Maybe it's Addison Barger as he's the hot uh, hot hot new hotness. Let's call him right. Um, maybe uh, Biggio does take control of first base. I don't know. Or pardon me, second base. But I don't know. I mean, it just it doesn't seem all that likely given the players who are currently on the roster. And if that's the case, then maybe his ceiling is higher. Maybe it just like you said, it won't be in Toronto. That's kind of the case with the Blue Jays these last couple of years. Is there's too many good players at the same position. You know, <laughs> Rowdy Rowdy's a major leaguer. He is a very good major leaguer. He had thirty. Five home runs last year at 30 to 35 home runs i don't think bishio is going to hit 30 35 home runs wherever he is but it would it would be a dagger in the heart to see him get traded and then turn into an all-star somewhere else i'm not sure if he has that ceiling still but i think it's i think potentially he could uh even if you just look i know it was a few years ago but 2019 was so good for him it was such a good debut and it's all kind of been downhill i think that he could still do something um just he is he's a very hard player to nail down because he's not a prospect anymore he is you know he's closing in on 30 at this point so he kind of needs to to put up or or shut up at this point but the blue jays with the positional availability you know that's why we traded gabriel moreno i don't think we would have traded him if we didn't have these two guys secure in front of him it was the fact that he was just blocked and had nowhere to go and it's the same thing with rowdy and it might end up being the same thing with biggio unfortunately um, we've covered the lineup in pretty good depth here. Um, in terms of the starting pitching, yeah. you know, we touched on it a little bit off the top in terms of Manoa and Gosman. Um, you know, we got Jose Barrios, Chris Bassett, Yusei Kikuchi in there as well. And I think Hyunjin Ryu is supposed to be back around midseason. Um, what are your thoughts here? I think, I, I mean, we touched on Manoa and Gosman. Let's go to Jose Barrios. Last digging into his numbers from last year, it's it's an it's an awful thing to do, and you shouldn't do it. You should just avoid it if you can. Uh, where are you thinking? There's a chance that Brios can get back to the Minnesota numbers. Are you thinking that he's just kind of maybe we overrated him a little bit? Like where where do you stand on Brios as of right now? It's definitely possible we all overrated Brios a smidge. <laughs> Uh, that's definitely true, um, and I'm a little afraid that we all did, perhaps, because when he—I mean, you remember when he first got traded here to Toronto? He was terrific; like he was lights out for the rest of that season. And it was the beginning of last season, like literally in the home opener, he gets yeah. shelled, and the Blue Jays have to mount like effectively a historic comeback just to win that game, which is insane. Yeah. Not something you would have thought, given Jose Barrios was the starter in the home opener. But I, I do, you know what? I do think that. His body of work going back to Minnesota probably means he is a better pitcher overall versus I think I want to say he was legitimately the worst or the second worst pitcher among qualified starters. And like maybe the either in all of baseball or definitely in the American League. But it was like it was it was not pretty. Like you're saying, the numbers were not pretty in any way, shape, or form. So if that's the case, then I there I almost feel like there's no way he can't bounce back from last year, even if it's not to a, like a top ten pitcher uh statistical level and might just still be a uh just a fine pitcher. Then the nice thing is is the way the rotation has been built is that even if Barrios is maybe a smidge better than he was last year. You're kind of hoping that it'll be minimized to a certain degree because he's no longer the third 
at least right now, on paper at least, he's no longer the third starter in the rotation. Like if right now it'll be someone like Chris Bassett, for example. I think Bassett is so fascinating because he has been so dependable. You can like it feels like you can just pencil him in for like 150 innings basically every single year. Uh, going back to his days with the A's, and I know he had the very very brief stint as a Met, but he he's been very dependable, very reliable. So I do kind of wonder if maybe Bassett pushes Barrios to the four spot, and then. Kikuchi for the fifth spot. I mean, eh, we all know the struggles with Kikuchi. The, I think that the the tantalizing potential is there with him because he's a lefty who throws so hard. Like he, like I, I honestly think there are probably not many lefties in all of baseball who can throw as hard as he can. Like I mean, the guys who come to mind immediately are like Chris Sale and Carlos Rodon. There's probably like a hand, maybe Shane McClanahan. There are other guys out there as well, maybe, but like guys who can throw the fastball as hard as he can out of that left hand are very few and far in between. So that coupled with the fact that he's getting paid a very healthy amount of money from the Blue Jays probably means he is getting that fifth spot, especially with Mitch White with the, the shoulder impingement during spring training. So if that's like if, if your three, four, five spots are Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi, I think you feel pretty good, even if Manoa and Gosman are exactly the same, because that's, a, that's not a bad starting rotation. And like you said, maybe Hyunjin Ryu comes back around the all-star break and supplants Kikuchi and Kikuchi moves to the bullpen. Maybe we're talking about Ricky Tiedemann by the all-star break. Who knows, right? Like there's a, there's a great chance that if he continues to dominate in, uh, in, in the affiliates, maybe there's nothing, maybe it's like an Alec Manoa situation. Maybe there's nothing more for him to gain from an, a knowledge perspective beyond just the physical conditioning. Right. So, and I, Al Manoa himself didn't ha- hadn't thrown that many minor league innings before he got called up against the Yankees anyway. So I, I think there are a lot of options for the starting rotation this year. It, it is going to be those five that we talked about, but it, it might not be those five all season long, which I think is kind of exciting. Yeah. I think that the rotation is pretty good. Honestly, the way that they're, they've added a name, Every year for the last several years, it was going back to Ryu. Yeah. And I forget how it went exactly. I think it was Gosman and then it was Barrios and then it was, or was it, no, it was Barrios and then it was Gosman. And right. how they added them. But they're constantly adding names, even if they don't all work out. At least they're doing stuff. At least they're making moves. They're spending money. And then, you know, the top three, Manoa, Gosman, and Bassett, I'll put that up against, all, you know, any team in the American League East. I'd put it up, well, maybe the, the Cole and Rodon combination would trump it in New York. But in terms of a top three, I think it's incredible. You know, Gosman was, he didn't perform as well as he should have last year, probably. And it was still very good. Like if you like some of the advanced metrics, he gave up a lot of bad uh, hits on batted balls in play where it was, you know, his Babbitt number was like 360, 365 or something. One of the highest that we've ever seen. And he was still very good. Manoa, like you said, Cy Young candidate, Cy Young finalist. Chris Bassett, Mr. Consistency. If you look back every single year, the last going back to 2018, the ERAs are 302, 381, 229, 315, 342. All very good. The career ERA, 345. Like, there's a lot to like there. And when you get to the bottom two names, Barrios, I'm not too excited about. But even if you're talking about fantasy, like, there's a buyback opportunity on him because his price is like, I'm looking at that NFBC ADP again, 235 in these most recent drafts. So you don't have to pay up for him. If you are interested in investing, I don't know if we're going to see, you know, the same Cy Young finalist we saw a couple of years ago, but he doesn't necessarily have to be his number four guy. He can just be a high threes, low four ERA and still be very serviceable. And I think that that's probably realistic outcome is a high threes, low fours ERA for Barrios. And then Kikuchi, we saw the other day in his spring debut, he was he looked incredible. 
And, you know, we have to take everything with a grain of salt in the first week of spring and the entirety of spring, really. But there's potential for this rotation to be incredible. And that's not even talking about, like you said, Ricky Tiedemann. Nate Pearson is probably not going to be a starter long term, but there's still maybe some hope. I mean, what, do, you, do you still have any hope of Nate Pearson being a starter? Or is he probably just a reliever at this point, a high-end, high-end late-inning reliever? Yeah, I think that's probably where I see Pearson at this point, only because... I think the, the, all the all the conditioning issues, and not really issues, but just because of all the the injuries and the illnesses he's had over the last couple of years, I do think he even he has now said that he has kind of used himself as doing whatever role they need. And I mean, we talked about the idea of roster crunch, right? I mean, the roster crunch is there for the starters as well. It's not it's not even that you don't can't have too many starters, but if the next guy up from a starting perspective is now Ricky Tiedemann and maybe, maybe even to a lesser extent, like down the, down the road, the Brandon Barrieras and the, uh, the Hayden Youngers of the world, when you're talking about the prospects to, to keep an eye on in like three to four to five years, then maybe Nate Pearson, given his age, maybe Pearson is best suited to add to the bullpen because I mean, the bullpen is interesting too, right? Cause they added Swanson, like we talked about with the Teoscar Hernandez trade, they added Chad Green, who probably is not going to pitch really at all this year. Like if he pitches, it's probably not going to be until like September and probably not that much anyways. The, the, the deal for Chad Green was fascinatingly complex. Like it was like options for 2025 and 2026. So I can't imagine we see too much of Chad Green this year. Uh, and then David Phelps retired. So if you're adding Swanson, you're, you're taking out Phelps and then maybe you're adding Nate Pearson as well. I, I am intrigued to see how it reorders the bullpen, Joe, just because I wonder if maybe, because we saw, like, for example, we saw Jordan Romano, who was very, very, there we go. Sorry, I got, I got, got cut off with my alarm again. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, we saw Jordan Romano, who was uh, very, very effective last year. And his usage, I think he was used so much towards the end of the season that, his some of the stats started to drop off for him a little bit and i'm not going to blame him too too much but i i guess what i'm saying is if pearson and swanson added i do wonder if it makes like it it relieves the pressure on the very the guys at the very end of the bullpen and you can maybe distribute the adam simbers and jimmy garcia's and anthony basses of the world in a little more equitable fashion like we even saw i think we didn't say too many times last year but we did see jimmy garcia get a chance to close a couple times and I wonder if I'm not saying you'll see that necessarily, but I do wonder if the additions of the new guys will let will avoid Romano having to pitch like three days in a row, for example. Yeah, especially it seemed more so under Montoyo than with the Schneider. They were using him, you know, consistently. Yeah. It was like as much as you know, if it was the same situation, it was 100% going to be Romano, uh, and he did, and he did suffer because of it a little bit. Now, I think when it comes to this bullpen, looking at it, Romano is going to be 30 years old. He's just about 30 years old. I could see Nate Pearson being the closer of the future for this team. I really could. Uh, he's got he's got the stuff. He throws hard enough. He, if he gets it under control properly, I could definitely see that. There's a lot to like in this bullpen. You know, as much as I was kind of poo-pooing him earlier, Eric Swanson had an incredible season last year. He if he can replicate, you know, even if he's 80 percent of that, 75 percent of that, uh, that could be that could be amazing Anthony Bass Tim Mays like you can go down this pen and I don't really feel that confident about Trevor Richards he's kind of hit or miss but this is a very very solid bullpen you know obviously I'm biased you're probably a little bit biased towards this team as well being in Toronto covering the team. <laughs> but 
but uh, there's a lot to really like if you go top to bottom, top of the order, down to the last man in the pen. I, you know, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that we can win the division and maybe win a playoff series this year. I don't think that's, you know, wish casting. It's not like we're in Cincinnati or in Washington saying that our team's <laughs> going to do that. I think this team can legitimately do that. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at the rest of the AL even just, just because you're looking at the balance schedule now. There are less games against the rest of the AL East, which, I mean, it balances out in the sense that you're still you're probably playing more of the good teams from the NL that you wouldn't have played before. But you're also, on the other half of that discussion, playing more bad teams from the NL that you wouldn't have played before. So it probably evens out there. I mean, if you look at the balance of the teams in the American League specifically, after the Astros, who are probably, I mean, they just won the World Series, probably still the team to, to beat. And the Yankees are always are probably always going to be up there. You mentioned their rotation. I mean, any rotation that has Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, Carlos Rodon, and I, I would still put Nestor Cortez Jr. He had a pretty good year last year, even though he I don't think he's ever thrown that many innings. But those four now Montes is a little bit more of a question mark with the shoulder injury. And I think I think did he say I think he was done for the year, right? I think they said he was he was done or close to being done. I think so. Yeah, if he's yeah. back, it won't be till right at the end. Right. So if the, even without Montes, those four are probably the equal thereabouts of the four the Blue Jays have. But at the same time, it's the, the Blue Jays have a rotation that you're literally comparing to the two other best teams in the entirety of the American League. Because after that, I would probably take the Blue Jays in a rematch with the Mariners or uh, any of the other contenders. I mean, certainly the Rays are always going to be thorns in the, in the sides of the Blue Jays because who knows what happens when the Blue Jays go down to the trop and play there. But I, I, you're right. I think the team, maybe like maybe you and I are a little bit biased, probably, <laughs> but I, I do think that the additions they made in the offseason, and even if the, the bullpen doesn't have as many swing and miss guys as you would like to see, like they, they may not have a, an Andres Munoz, for example, on this team, but maybe Nate Pearson becomes that guy. Like, who knows? We literally saw him in his first appearance of spring training touch 101 miles an hour on the radar gun. And he still had a pretty nasty knuckle curve in there as well. So it's very possible he becomes that guy. Um, and hey, I mean, most most very good relievers are probably failed starters somewhere. So I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain too much if Nate Pearson does uh, contribute out of the pen. When I first saw that we traded Teoscar, I think the initial tweet or whatever report was that Teoscar Hernandez traded for reliever, and my brain was Munoz. Munoz. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. That's what I thought immediately. <laughs> Maybe Paul Seawald would I would have taken him as well, but. I was a little bit surprised when it was Swanson still. Uh, I still like what this team has done. And that bullpen did maybe need another arm or two to kind of just bolster it up a little bit farther. If Romano does go down as of right now, do you think that they would turn to Pearson in the ninth inning immediately? Or would it be probably Swanson, Garcia, Bass, one of those guys? Like to start off anyway. Yeah, to start, I think it's probably going to be the guys who, who at least saw some of that last year. I probably would be. I, I, I bet Jimmy Garcia sees the first save opportunity if Romano was not available but there's a very real possibility that like come the all-star break if Pearson's fastballs have some movement on them and if the off-speed pitches look good then there's a real chance that maybe he is if not the closer or uh, the the alternate closer let's say there's a real chance he is seeing some really high leverage moments which would be great because I remember when we, we thought there was some real potential for like Julian Merriweather, for example. And Merriweather, he threw so hard. Like this, that, he was a real flamethrower, but his, his pitches were like the straightest pitches you'll ever see. And then after, after a certain point in time, the other opposing, opposing teams also keyed in on that. And then they were just blasting those balls all over the place. So I think if, if Pearson can avoid 
the same, I don't want to say fate as Merriweather, but if he can avoid the falling into the falling into the same pitfalls, let's say, as some of these other guys, he, he, he'll have a chance to contribute in, in meaningful ways. Like, I, I prefer to let him figure it out in the majors versus send him back down to Buffalo because I think there also is something to be said for, like, you don't want to, like, I don't know, entirely destroy the guy's confidence necessarily by saying, okay, well, you need to start with the, with the, the Buffalo team once again versus letting him kind of earn a little bit more in lower and then slightly higher leverage situations with the, in the big leagues. I am totally there with you. Pearson, you know, he's still a prospect. Technically he's 26. He's you know closer yeah. to 27 than 26 at this point. He's only thrown 33 major league innings. So I'm with you. Like, let's get him up there. Let's, you know, even if he does get rocked once or twice, you know, send him back out there the next day and give him that kind of confidence that he probably is pretty lacking at this point, considering he didn't throw at all in the big leagues last year, considering his relative lack of success in the big leagues, I'd let him go. I'd, I'd let him, you know, I wouldn't throw him in the ninth inning role, but give him some middle relief opportunities, throwing an inning or two here or there. And then maybe, you know, let's say Romano, you don't want to extend him at 30 years old and give him a big contract, which would be understandable. Maybe you do have your, your closer of the future there with Nate Pearson. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we do get that at some point. Even if it's not this year, I love Nate Pearson. I'd love to see him come a long way and maybe one day be an all-star. I think that is his probable ceiling if he does, you know, if a lot of things have to go right. But I think that's where we could probably get to at some point here. Uh, show any other thoughts before I let you go on this Blue Jays team? Anything we might have missed? Anything that you think people should know going into the season, going into their fantasy drafts? Anything in particular? That's a good one. I think, you know what, I'll say this. I, I do think... That my favorite, I love the prospect watch. I think prospect watches are so fun. And this, it goes back to like when Vladdy got called up and Bo and Captain Biggio got called up and all the way through to Moreno getting called up last year. And then like which members of the minor league bullpen system are going to get called up? Like, is it going to be a Yasper Zulueta or is it going to be an, an Adrian Hernandez with the screwball and so on? And I, I think that guy, well, I guess the two guys this year are Ricky Tiedemann and Addison Barger, I'll say this, I, I really do think there's a great chance that come, let's say the All-Star break, that Addison Barger could see some playing time in the majors. And again, that it's, it's not exactly a question, like it's not a problem, let's say, that the Blue Jays have to solve tomorrow or by the beginning of the regular season or even by the end of May, let's say. It's not a, it's not a today problem, and that is a tomorrow problem, but... He has like that kid has some effortless power and he has worked on a lot of things. And I think it was it was great to see in his first basically spring training appearance. And again, like you say, you take everything with a grain of salt in spring training. But he crushed a 96 mile an hour fastball. And it wasn't even off of a guy who you're not going to see a lot of in the majors. He crushed a 96 mile an hour fastball off of David Bednar, a guy who we talked about a lot going into the trade deadline last year, but being a, a potential uh, answer in the bullpen for the Blue Jays, right? And again, like for the pitchers too, it is about timing and tuning things up and so on. So I'm not going to blame Bender too, too much. And he's not getting cut after getting <laughs> giving up one home run, for example. But that Barger was able to even do that in the first place for a guy who hasn't seen such limited playing time anyways. For him to do that off of an MLB regular, I think has uh, it has some serious promise. Again, you take everything with a grain of salt, but I, I liked it enough that it's it's one of those things where between now and the All-Star break, I think we're going to be talking a lot about Barger. I, I have no idea what his ADP is. I got to imagine he's going like undrafted in a lot of leagues, for example. But Or if, he, if, if, he's, if he's getting drafted, it's super late. 
but it's, Seven, it's one of those, 700, 700. Yeah. so there you go right so it's not someone you really have to worry too too much about but i do kind of wonder if maybe come the all-star break we're talking about should we put in a waiver claim for <laughs> addison barger i think it'll be it'll be fun to watch there are some leagues i play in that have minor league slots i think okay. on yahoo they call it na slot or whatever come mid-season barger might be a candidate there's a couple of guys who might fit that bill but barger is certainly one of those guys you can think of and you know this adp is based again on the nfbc and this is for draft champions formats where you draft 50 rounds you have no in-season moves you kind of have to speculate for later on in the season and that kind of format if you're getting him at pick 700 they only go to 750 picks these drafts (laughs) so it's one of your last two or three rounds there's worse players, or there's, there's definitely worse players you could speculate on than Barger at this point, considering the power. Considering maybe he'll have a couple positions of eligibility right now. He's got shortstop, but I think he could open up a, a couple different spots potentially, depending on where they need him, where they slot him in here and there. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Should be very interesting to watch the Blue Jays again this season. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a fantastic time talking with you here. Yeah. Hey, Joe. Appreciate the invite. Anytime you need me, happy to do it. It's been a great time. I'm going to be listening to you on the Blue Jays radio, on Blue Jays talk, as often as you're on there. Usually I try and catch games on TV, but when I'm driving, when I'm doing things, put it on on the radio. Uh, Be glad to hear your voice again. Why don't you just let us know real quick before I let you go where you can be found and just a brief recap again of what you do. Yeah, for sure. So you can find the uh, Blue Jays talk podcast feed where you can find most of my stuff, for example, is during this once the season starts during the regular season. And uh, yeah, anytime anyone wants to reach me at SNS Alley with two L's on Twitter. And uh, I do my best to uh, reply to DMs and tweets on time. I can't always promise because I'm a god awful social media user, but uh, I'll try my best. <laughs> and uh, you've been you've been very great in terms of getting this together. I know you're very busy getting the Blue Jays ready for the season. So much appreciated you taking the time here today. Go follow show on Twitter at SNS Alley with the two L's, like he said, and go listen to him on the Fan 590 Blue Jays talk during the Blue Jays games. Uh, you do out-of-town scoreboards and stuff like that, too, as well, right? I do, yeah. During the games, yeah. we do, like, the pitching changes and so on. So it can it can really uh, vary quite wildly. It could be, like, a, a Premier League update sometimes. It could be, like, a Canada soccer update. It could be a – maybe it's an NFL update at the end of the season. Like, maybe it's the Leafs in the playoffs or something like that. You, you never really know what you get. It's a real mixed bag with those, uh, those out-of-town scoreboards. Uh, it's really cool, man. Make sure you're checking out show. You guys can check me out if you want to on Twitter at Joe Orico 99. But more importantly, go check out the company page at Ethos Fantasy BB. We got our draft guide live. My rankings are already starting to get posted. I posted first base today. Catcher and shortstop are there as well for you guys to check out. Over the next week, a lot more stuff will be added. So make sure you're following at Ethos Fantasy BB. Subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you think. If you're listening somewhere that allows ratings and reviews, let us know what you think of this episode and all the ones you've heard before this But guys, thank you so much. We'll see you again tomorrow. We're going to do the Mariners tomorrow, so make sure you are here. But until then, take care and cheers.